Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. This is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of CenterVision Leadership Foundation. It's where your vision as a leader develops a synergy with your team. And the team we're interviewing today has amazing synergy. And I've been to their house and it's a creative zone. It's, um, we changed time zones. We went to the creative zone and it's just quite amazing. So we have Ken and Deborah Adams and their uh, two of their three daughters, Catherine and Isabel today. Uh, Trinity is, is somewhere else today, but uh, she's with us in spirit. The, the project is called Paper for Water. And um, I've been touched by this from the, the minute I walked in the house. And um, it's, it's one of the stories, we've, we've had um, Bob Hopkins as our guest. It's one of the stories in this book, Philanthropy Misunderstood. So I'd like to ask um, the Adams to talk about themselves, just introduce yourselves and talk about how this project got started. So welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you. So my name is Kathy Adams, and I'm 14 years old. And I'm Deborah Adams, and I'm their mom. And Paper for Water started eight years ago, and it's a nonprofit where we make origami ornaments and take donations for them, and all the proceeds go on water projects. <laughs> so we started Paper for Water when we were five and eight years old. And the reason is because we learned that a child died every 15 seconds from unclean water. And that girls were age didn't really get to go to school. And we thought that was horribly unfair and thought that we could do something to make a difference. And in the past eight years, we've been able to raise over $2 million and fund over 200 water projects in 20 different countries. Wow. That's amazing. Keep going. Deborah, How's the connection? Deborah, yeah. is that the connection's a little... <laughs> we plan on continuing this project. Sorry? You're breaking up a little bit. The uh, Wi-Fi may not be as strong where you are. You're breaking up a little bit. Can you guys get to a hard line? Um, can we come to your computer? Yeah. You can. Um, I need to get on another line, though. We're in 15 minutes. Um, but, but introduce yourself, um, Mom and Dad. Ken, you're real clear. Sure. Uh, it's because I'm on the hard line in the house. Uh, I'm, I'm Ken Adams. I am uh, Isabel and Catherine's father and Deborah's husband. And Deborah and I have been kind of in this mode of philanthropy and fundraising probably since we got married. Uh, and it, the extension of what we were doing with Isabel, Catherine, and Trinity is, is kind of a continuation of our desire to help others. Love it. So, so um, Deborah, you want to add to this dialogue? Sure. Um, you know, I think it's important for people to know that this did not start off uh, on the scale that it's at today. It just started off as a very small project. It was going to just be for one month with the goal of simply raising between $500 and $1,000. Uh, 
And so this has just been something that has gradually built over time. And we talk about it a lot, about how if you just show up every day and you do something, you just got to be consistent and just keep showing up, then it continues to build. And if you're doing something that is worth doing, it then people want to be involved. And water is really, every person needs water. Uh, no matter who you are, where you live. So I think that that is um, the reason why it's been so important for so many people. Let's keep trying. We, we keep getting a little hiccup every now and then in the audio. And if we have to move, is there somewhere nearby you could move? But uh, show us some of the paper. And um, so so who who thought of origami? I mean, who, who, would have th who thought of that in the first place? Well, so actually my dad is half Japanese and when I was four, he started to teach me how to fold origami. And this is actually our third project before Paper for Water. He had um, worked with Isabel and I and we had done two other art projects and origami was just something that we both enjoyed doing. And we thought, why not do something we love while helping other people? Now, how old were you when you started? We were five and eight years old. Okay, now this just isn't sitting down and folding and having something in a couple of minutes. So this is pretty complex, isn't it? Yes. yes. Most of our ornaments take between an hour and two hours to make. Yeah. And every single thing that you make is, is custom, it's handmade, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. No two ornaments are the same. You can use the same paper, but ultimately they're all unique. Now, um, you don't fold all the paper yourselves, do you? Oh, no. No. Definitely not. Definitely not. We, we have, have hundreds of volunteers who help us. Do they all, yeah. come, they all, do they all come to your house? How does, how does this work? Well, it actually, it started like that, where we would have tons of people come to our house. But I mean, like, our house is not big enough to host everyone. Now we you use our church um, once a month. And then also, um, weekly, we said, well, we don't right now, but we have a group of a smaller group meet at our house. And then also, we just have volunteers fold at their home. Wow. Yep. Um, I see in front of you, there's some samples. And I think throughout this interview, I'd like to see some different ones, but um, um, show us, show us something that's in front of you. So I'm, um, I was at your house and everything I saw was amazing. So give us an example, hold it up and, and show us a couple of things. So this is one of our ornaments that we make. It's a very holiday themed paper. Um, most of our ornaments are kind of designed as Christmas tree ornaments, and so we use a lot of holiday-themed paper. However, here's another one that my mom just handed me. Um, they can also be used as, like, table decorations um, or, you know, decorations on a bookshelf or things like that. So hold that up again. That's that is amazing. Is that is that one piece of paper or several pieces? Oh no, no. It's thirty sheets of paper. Thirty. Yes. Well, what makes it stay together? So that's actually the cool thing about origami. There is no glue involved. 
So, Except for this one. <laughs> well, actually, funny that we held up the one that used glue, but this is a better example. It's bigger, so you can see it. This takes about an hour. It's 30 sheets of paper, and it doesn't have any glue. So what was the first thing you did? And that somebody, actually, somebody buys it, and all that money goes to, to the water project? Is that how it works? Yes. So we actually uh -huh. started off in our local Starbucks. We approached the manager and asked, hey, can we sell our ornaments in your store? And he said, sure. You can set up a little display. And so we had a little rack hanging on one of the walls with a couple of ornaments. And so we did that for about a month. And then we were more focused on selling them to people that we knew. And um, I think at that point, we started going to different craft fairs. And so it kind of, it kind of grew from just something at Starbucks. So my mom brought this one in. This is one of our volunteers made it. And this is, how many pieces is at least a hundred. A couple hundred, probably. So, I mean, you can range in complexity, number of pieces, type of fold. So, it can be as simple or as difficult as you want it to be. So, do people buy these all over the country? Yes, and all over the world, even. How do they get them? We mail them to them. So, it must be really tricky packaging that so it doesn't get damaged. Yes, we have a bit of a system going on, uh, but you have to, you do have to be really careful. We use tons of packing peanuts and pretty much every packing product imaginable. Yeah. <laughs> so that one, that star in front of you, Isabel, on, uh, on, so if I wanted to buy that one, how would I buy that? Well, you could go on our website, which is paperforwater.org. And we have ornaments available year round on our store there. Um, and then if you were here in the DFW area and well, it was a normal year, not um, in the middle of a pandemic, we would also be going to tons of local craft fairs and gift markets during the holiday season that you could purchase ornaments at. And um, we also have them in a couple of stores here in the DFW area, sort of on and off throughout the year. So when somebody buys that, all of the money goes to your, your, your projects, your water projects? Correct. We have specific donors who will fund overhead costs and things like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So um, how, how, we were on a project on Saturday together, a youth philanthropy conference, and you were leaders in that conference. And we had a, a young fellow that, that worked with you. I forgot where he was. Now, I just wanted to pick up on what Isabel said, DFW. These, this family's in Dallas, Texas. Didn't say that at the beginning. But your reach is worldwide. But we had somebody, I forget what his name was. It Will was on the call? Luke. His name is Luke. Luke. Before we continue, um, is the connection better right now, or is it the same? It's it's better. Okay. All right. And if so, it if it um, if it boops out, I'll ask you to repeat, and I can edit that out so it's smoother. But it's only occasionally dropping out. So thank you for asking. If uh, okay. you need to have a solution, we could pause. If your dad's got a quick solution, otherwise we'll keep. Well, going. 
If it, if it's popping out, we can move upstairs. To a hard line. If that would be better. To a hard line. Okay. Um, right now it's pretty good. Okay. If it gets worse. Oh, okay. I think it's I think, I think it's, it's fine, fine, right? It, is it only occasionally is it okay. looping? So okay. so let's. And we we can repeat what we say. Yeah, and I'll I'll just I'll just edit it out. I'll have to do a little bit of work, but uh, I'm, I'm hearing more than I'm missing. So uh, Bob Hopkins had sent a sent a chat that it was a problem, um, but uh, it's it's better now. So. Um, so how did you get started with Luke and his group? And how did they get started? Because this isn't easy to do. How does somebody learn? Uh, and, and these are really, you have really tight quality control. So how does somebody <laughs> learn to fold at that level? So Luke actually already knew how to fold before he came to us. And I feel like that's actually the ideal situation when you have someone who already knows how to fold, loves folding before they come to volunteer for us. I mean, of course we take people who don't know how to fold and we teach them, but it is always better if you know how to fold beforehand. Um, but I mean, he really took initiative and started the club at his school. And I mean, in situations like that where kids start clubs at their school, I mean, it's usually them taking the initiative to teach others and mm -hmm. But we, so for new folders, our YouTube channel, which is Paper for Water, has tons of simple origami videos that we have created with our volunteers. And you can learn anything from how to fold a pair of paper sunglasses to an origami lotus flower. Uh, we have tons of super fun crafts. Actually, on Friday, we are going to be uploading a 4th of July craft video where you can learn how to make this sort of star thing uh, as well as several other fun crafts and so let me, if you don't have any hold that up close hold that up close okay that's pretty amazing there's this one too there's another one so this is like just individual pinwheels put into a wheel and then this is the star and then if you go on, just make sure to subscribe because we're super close to being able to monetize our channel. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, so this is on YouTube. Very, yes, it is. Very popular social media. And um, you're getting some traction on there. So we would like to encourage people to go to, do they, if they go on YouTube and they search for paper for water, will they find you? Yes, yes they will. That is the name of our channel. Paper for Water, and then their their website is paperforwater.org. It is a 501c3 charity, and the money they raise when, when people purchase these creative folding pieces of art, this is this is art craft. It's all all mixed in there for me because it's very artistic. So um, if somebody wanted to learn and wanted to volunteer, what's uh, how long does it take them to develop enough proficiency so that they can meet the quality standard that you have? Well, it depends on the person. <laughs> and also, I mean, sometimes we do something where one person will just fold it in half and then the next people will do the next step and so on. So, I mean, if you want to help, you just have to be able to fold a piece of paper in half. I mean, it can be as simple, as simple as you want to be. But we also have volunteers who can be very, very talented. 
Um, it's just, all, we take all skill levels pretty much. Well, that's good, that's good. So is there a, a, a contact us button on your paperforwater.org site? Yes, yes, there is. You got it together. Now, um, <laughs> Isabel and Catherine Adams, and I guess your mom and dad are behind the camera. They're hiding. <laughs> so um, you all started this as a family project. What has this meant to your family to have something that you do together that has such wonderful impact on people's lives? I think it's, I mean, it's definitely brought us a lot closer, just given the fact that we spend so much time together now. Um, but it's cool to be working together and we've had the opportunity to go to some really amazing events as a family and we even traveled around the world for eight months visiting some of our water projects that we've helped to fund and that was really an amazing experience whoa eight months uh-huh that's a long trip so let's unpack that a little bit i i heard about that but that just sounds like amazing so tell us a little bit where did you go and what are a couple of the stories from those places so we spent about three months in South America, three months in Africa, and about two months in Europe and Asia. And we visited water projects in several different countries. And it was just the most amazing thing, getting to see first and the people that we've helped change their lives and getting to see kids who used to be sick and dying now happy and in school. Mm -hmm. It's really amazing. And we have endless stories. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, give us um, a specific story of somebody and um, a little bit of the mechanics. So how, how does your money help improve the water? What really happens? So I'll tell a story and then we'll get to how the wells are actually installed. So we were in Ethiopia and we had been visiting water projects for a couple days and I mean, it, it gets a little bit, you know, you go out there a lot. And anyways, we, um, we met a woman who had lost that, well, previously before their well, um, they had been um, hauling water up through just a hole in the ground. And then they had taken cloth and strained out these green worms. And they, but they couldn't get the larva out of the water. And the woman was talking to us and she had lost three children. And she was just saying how hard it had been before the water, um, the clean water. And then she talked about how now that they have a water project, um, all her kids are happy, they're healthy, um, they can go to school because they're not hauling the water. And it was just, it was an amazing story. And it really had just transformed the whole community. So they couldn't go to school because they were hauling water? Yes. So usually the women and the children are who um, haul water and they, they can walk up to seven miles in the dry season. Um, it just depends if they have a river or a stream or just a hole nearby that they can get water, but sometimes they have to walk very far distances. And sometimes they're also unable to attend school because they're sick or because, especially for girls, because their school doesn't have adequate uh, sanitation facilities like a toilet. Mm -hmm. And so all of these things impact school attendance for kids. So what kind of reception when you went to this place you're just describing? What, uh, people know you're coming, but what kind of reception do you have and what kind of conversations do you have with the people? Because you're really impacting 
their quality of life with this one thing, but this one thing is a big thing. So what kind of conversations do you have with people? When, when you asked that question, um, the first thing I thought about was we went to India. Um, it wasn't a part of our eight month trip. It was prior to it, but we went to India and one of the schools we went to, uh, we pulled up and they had just like so many um, marigolds um, type of flower and they were just all over the ground. They had these like lays of them that they had for us. And then they had, everyone was dancing. They had prepared food. And it was just, it was like a celebration. It was a, party. it was a party. And it's just that kind of the joy. And everyone was so happy. And I mean, like, they don't, most of them didn't speak English, but they were like coming up to us and trying to like tell us stuff. And it's just everywhere that we go, like everyone's just so happy and so grateful. However, there have been communities that we went to. I can think of one that we visited in Peru. And while they had a water project that we went to see, everyone was constantly asking, can we have another well? Mm -hmm. Because now that we have this project, our community's growing and we are soon about to have too many people for this one water project to support. And everyone was asking either, can we have another well? Or I know a friend who lives in another village that they need a well too. And so, yes, it is you know, drastically improving their way of life, but there's still so much that they need. Mm -hmm. So you do a well for a community and everybody in the community has access to that well? Yes, so it actually, it varies from community, community to community. A lot of the projects that we install are at schools or hospitals, but the important part of it is that no matter where the project is, the entire community has access to it. So um, I, guess, I, I guess there's different um, factors for installing a well, oh, yes. where you are and what the, what the local government restrictions are and a lot of factors. So mm -hmm. from start to finish, you, you get some funding. So how much does one, you know, what's the range? They're all probably different, but What's the range? This is not insignificant, but and then how much time does it take from start to finish to complete the get the well active? So over the years, the price range has definitely changed. It used to be closer to five thousand to I'd say twenty-five thousand. Now it's more. It's a little bit more expensive. It's, it's gotten more expensive. However, it's the projects that we are doing are often a lot more complicated. Mm -hmm. And so we don't always just install the simple hand pump. We do, and we do that in some communities, but for a lot of places, it's a well with some sort of pump, maybe a solar panel pump. Mm -hmm. And then it's connected to hand washing stations or a latrine and then a water distribution center. So it's far more than just a well. And so some of these projects can cost upwards of $20,000 or more because there's just a lot more infrastructure that goes into them. And it means that they're, they can reach more people though. So give us another story. This was in Africa, you were, that story you were just talking about? Yes, in Ethiopia. Yeah, so what are, you were in uh, Peru, you said, you've been in Asia. So what are, you know, give us another example, because this is, um, this, this is, uh, 
you're enabling people to do other things. Well, not to die because <laughs> you've got no choice. And we, we whine about stuff here, not realizing there are people that live under horrendous conditions and they don't have even the simple thing like turning on the faucet and having the water to drink. So um, it, it really, so you, people get some work to build the well and then people are, have their time freed up. They're not, they're not spending uh, most of their day getting, fetching water. Uh, they've got it closer by. They're not sick. They're able to be productive. And so there's a lot of things that come out of this. What's the story from another continent? Well, something that I just thought of, and you mentioned uh, jobs to build the well. So they actually, they do employ all local people to install all of the water projects. And then in addition to that, each project creates one or more permanent jobs because the community votes a member of uh, the community to become more or less the water caretaker. And their job is to make sure that the well isn't damaged and that people aren't vandalizing it and that animals don't come too close. And each community pays a very, very small amount of money to go into this sort of communal fund that will pay for um, any broken parts if something in the well breaks. And it also pays a small salary for this water caretaker because they are the ones who also learn how the well works and how it functions. So if something does break, they have money and expertise so that it can be fixed and they don't have to go without clean water again. That's, that's awesome. So that's a, that was a long trip. So that was eight months all at one time, right? Yes. <laughs> that is an amazing commitment. And so, uh, how long ago was that that you took this trip? 2016. We left so. at the very end of 2016, in December of 2016. So this was about three years three ago years now. Ago. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that long. I guess not. So you went to the other hemisphere, so it was warm when it was we winter. We did, actually, mm -hmm. for a while. We, well, by the time we got there, it, it was... Some of it was we were there in the winter because we, we were gone during our summer when mm -hmm. we were in Africa. And so it was actually winter there, which was really nice. Yeah, it was nice. And then I think we planned the first part of it so that by the time we got down to Antarctica, it was summer. Um, I'm going yes. to talk about our sponsor for a minute. And would you like to see if anybody has questions for you? Sure. And then um, I'm going to invite your, uh, you to ask you to invite your mom back. And let's talk about how this has um, impacted your family. So I want to mention um, Easy Card. So Center Vision Leadership Foundation has a virtual card. And we are always connected with our virtual cards because um, you have to have a computer to get online and to get to a website. But if you have uh, Center Vision's virtual card, then you just open up your smartphone and there it is. And so I'm gonna show you what it looks like. So Easy Card as a sponsor allows us to do, do some of these programs. So this is an Easy Card. Uh, it's for Center Vision, the community for community builders. Now, if you look at the, this is the nonprofit exchange videos right here, and you look, look, it's paper for water. And um, so, and then you open that up and there's, there's the video going right now. So I'm seeing myself 
uh, mirroring what, what I'm showing you. So this is, um, it looks long because it's built for your smartphone. So if you wanna be connected to us and learn about more of these fantastic interviews, um, send a text from your smartphone to 64600. Open a text program, send a text. Here's the number, 64600. And in the message, put in LDR, short for leader, LDR. And then you'll be on our list, but you'll also have all the stuff that we do uh, in our exclusive community. It's a community of people doing work like Water for Paper, Paper for Water, and people doing good all over the world, but we're connected with each other so we can share ideas and share stories and help each other out. So easycard.com is where you find out or you get on here and you find out, I want my own easy card. That way you can, you can text all of your supporters, your volunteers, your board, and say, don't forget, we're getting together this Saturday. Be sure to be there. So we're always in touch. So if you're interested in a, in a question, um, okay, he says, sure. Well, let's allow people to talk. And uh, so um, Professor Hopkins is coming on. He's not quite here yet, but he uh, said he would like to pose a question. He's hiding behind the image of a horse. So Bob, when you get in, open your, open your mic and uh, ask a question. Okay, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay, great. These are children, uh, actually in Mexico, that I worked with um, there. But I have a great question. Okay, so I have an extra $500. I don't want to make any ornaments, but I sure love, love, love your project. If I gave you the $500, what happens to it? Um, I assume you're organized through a nonprofit organization status. Tell me about that and how did that happen? So to answer the first part of your question, <laughs> that's kind of a, a long question, but right now we have focused, a, we are focusing a lot on um, sanitation projects worldwide. So those consist of hand washing stations and latrines, which are going to be instrumental in helping some of these communities combat COVID-19. And then we're also working on a project right here in the US on the Navajo Reservation with our partner Dig Deep. And they are helping to bring sort of a short-term quick solution to some of these families that do not have access to running water right now. So they're unable to wash their hands. And what we're doing is we're providing to about 275 gallon tanks to these homes that can be filled by a water truck. And so this is sort of a short-term solution to the problem there. And so that's kind of what we're working on right now. So if you were to say donate $500, it would most likely go to either providing water tanks to community or to families here in the US or to building hand washing stations in communities around the world. And so how are you organized as a nonprofit? How does that work? So we became an official nonprofit in 2012, I believe. 12. <laughs> and so we have a board of directors and we meet regularly. And um, however, we don't, none of us, the three of us at least, have a salary. <laughs> We're still volunteers. We do have two paid staff members and they help with volunteer coordination and um, one of them is working on a 
like an annual report for us. And so they do things like that. Um, manage contact, the people who contact us usually go through them. And so things like that. And we also, we have a, a brand new person. She's fabulous. And she's been doing leadership training for our change maker council. So if anybody's interested in joining that, we have that information on our website and there's an application process, but those kids meet together every two weeks and they are learning all kinds of wonderful leadership skills and learning about philanthropy and nonprofits. And um, they all commit a lot of hours to help us out and that's really wonderful. So is Changemakers a, a project of Paper for Water? Yes. I yes. We started it last, last. We started that last year. Last year. And it's really grown quite a bit. It, um, it functions almost as a youth board, kind of. Um, so they help us out with a lot of um, ideas. They help us with fundraising and spreading the word about Paper for Water and really kind of anything we need them to do. <laughs> they speak at events and they, um, they were instrumental with North Texas Giving Day this past year. Yeah. They did a really great job. Um, what's the age, what's the target age for that? I mean, I think our youngest is 12. And um, I think they went, the youngest we've had on is 10. When he, yes. Our youngest person was 10 when he started. So the age range is pretty much middle school and high school. So the, the three of you have a title in this company that you run? Uh, so well, Catherine and I do. We're, we're co-CEOs. And then I think I'm a board member. We gave, we gave you a <laughs> title. She a title at one point. I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> there was a title at one point. Let's let's see. So the buck stops here. You're the CEOs. That works out. So um, um, we lost my Jeffrey. Uh, he's on here. Jeffrey, you have an observation or a comment that you'd like to share? You can open your mic and um, you're got speaking. Yes, go ahead. I just I'll just say quickly that um, this is just really cool to see. Um, I know some people that have been involved in in water projects around the world. And this is just so incredibly important. And I'm just really impressed that young people, uh, which I am a long ways away from, are excited about doing this kind of thing. And I just think about how, what your ages are now and how much you're going to accomplish uh, in serving people and changing lives in the next decades it's just um i can't even get my head around it love it thank you um, thank uh, you Jeffrey. thank you for those kind comments and you know one of the things that we learned early on was that any time a young person learned about the water crisis they immediately wanted to help and we really believe that all people deep down desire to change the world and impact another person and everybody wants to help. And I think that the problem that we see for young people is overscheduling. And if they have the time to help, they want to help. And so just providing that space in the schedule for kids to do something for others 
uh, just think it's a natural for kids. Yeah, definitely. Oops, sorry, <laughs> I cut him off. Um, it's definitely, so Jeffrey is in, uh, in Richmond, Virginia, Bob's in Dallas, and they both have been uh, leaders of nonprofits and professional uh, funding professionals. So um, let's talk about, I've learned in my short time, and I had, Deborah, when I met you in Dallas, I'd just known Bob for one day and connected <laughs> us, and it was like, well, okay, my life's changed. So um, I've learned a lot about philanthropy, uh, as has everybody with Bob. And, um, you know, it's the love of humankind, philos and entropy, the two words from the Greek. And I had trouble spelling it before, and it just opened up a whole new world. But in, in, in many years in serving churches, I worked uh, with choirs uh, your age, Catherine and Isabel, and we go on trips. And we did Mexico, Central America, and we went to give away music and work, but it impacted us more than it did other people. So there's, there's this reverse polarity of you give, but you get more out of the giving and it satisfies you in a different kind of way. So talk about um, the impact it's had on your family and on your vision for, for life and how important this has been in your family's life. I think you, you made a good point that it does really impact you almost more than the people you're helping. Although in this case, water is pretty important. So it might be about the same. But, but I've always said when you give a lot, you get a lot back. And sometimes you get more than you gave. And that's, that's definitely been the case. We've gotten so much out of this. I mean, we have learned more than we probably ever would have from anything. I mean, the things we've learned, they don't teach you in school, or at least until you get to like business school. School, but they definitely don't teach middle schoolers some of these things. We've met some incredible people and we've actually gotten some really cool stuff too. We've gotten a trampoline that we've used for years. For years. Um, a telescope. That was that was a really cool one. Um, it's it's a just Disney cruise. A Disney, oh, cruise. Disney cruise. We did get a Disney cruise. That was with their grandparents. Yeah, with also our grandparents. <laughs> so I mean like it's just been like been amazing yes it's been, it's been so hard work fulfilling but it's we've gotten so much out of it yeah i think also hugh is that for our entire family especially for myself my faith has grown so much because we have seen god show up so many times in such a big way and i don't think we would have seen that do you know just not doing this just kind of living the normal life um and what's interesting about that is before this started, I was in a summer Bible school and that's our Bible study. And I'd actually been praying that my kids would have an, an experience that was so powerful that they would always know that God was real. And we have had that experience for over eight years. And it's like a miracle every day. And it, it, it is just incredible. I mean, we could tell you stories for the next two hours on just <laughs> these incredible miracles that we've seen. And, and I think for me, that's the most important thing that's happened from doing this project. Wow. I think of the scripture, it's more blessed to give than receive. I don't know who, where that, the source of that, but it, it's the reciprocity of giving 
that that comes back mm-hmm. mul- multiplied and it it multiplies as other people model and we are a nation of whiners a lot we complain about what we don't have and going somewhere what we always learned when we went somewhere on a mission trip that we were really fortunate <laughs> we had nothing to complain about and the enthusiasm yeah. like you were talking about the enthusiasm that people welcomed us with but I, i'm thinking of little churches in mexico and we did a concert and they brought their back then tape recorders and as, as we were packing up, they were going back into the hills and we could hear ourselves on their tape recorder as they were playing it as they were leaving. So we felt like in, in that way, we made an impact, but you're making a permanent impact on people's lives and health. Um, uh, Bob has a question about taking a rest. Should we let him ask it? <laughs> so, uh, Bob, where are you? Allowed to talk. Here you are. You're back. Okay. Hello there. You know, uh, you just said um, you sold your house or you sold your cars and took eight months off, which is a huge decision to make. I say that to people and they go, what? What do you mean they took eight months off? And you said you take a risk and you say God is in your life and probably you had, you didn't have God in your life, you wouldn't have taken that risk, which means that you had to have faith that you were going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And most people are so comfortable in what was that they they forget that there's a challenge out there to take a risk and do something different. Could you talk a little bit about taking this risk in a serious way and saying, would you encourage other people to do this same kind of thing? And what kind of things do you have to think about? So, Bob, that's a great question because I think it was maybe two or three days before we left on the trip. In our Sunday school class, somebody said, aren't you worried about getting really sick and not having a hospital or your kids getting kidnapped or, you know, just all these things that I said, absolutely. Like, we know how real the risks are because we have information because of a prior experience that Ken was involved in Haiti where some really bad and terrible things did happen to some people. and. Um, the State Department was involved and people were in prison and nobody was going to come help them. And there were literally hundreds of Americans in prisons around the world and nobody was coming to help you. Okay. There's just too much to take on. There's, there aren't enough people to come and do that. And so the risks are really real, but I think that the key thing is, is you have got to feel called to go and take that risk. And if you feel called, and I felt like for all of us, it was crystal clear that we need to go do this. And I, I felt safe every day of the eight months. I never felt endangered, no matter where we were. We were in some places where there was rioting and we had police escort in some places. And, um, you know, it was, uh, there was a lot of craziness going on in the world but I never felt endangered. I always felt safe. I don't know about the girls. How do you yeah, guys feel? No, no, I'm going to disagree, no. but only slightly. Like, there was only I mean, a few times that I felt unsafe. Yeah. For the most part, I think it was fine. Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of hype in the media about how dangerous the rest of the world is. And I mean, um, it, it is, 
it's also dangerous here, like, you know. Yeah, it's, it's just as dangerous here in the U.S. Like, I mean, we have such a high murder rate. Yeah. And so, I mean, you could get hurt Killed, here. You could here. get hurt somewhere else. I know. Yeah, at a movie theater, you at the mall, get sick at a here. concert. I mean, it's so crazy here. And, and we were at a wedding right before we left, and somebody said, I can't believe you're going to leave this country. Aren't you, gonna, aren't you worried somebody's going to shoot you and kill you? And I thought, well... Yeah, every time we go to the mall or the movie theater or a concert or, you know, so maybe that changed things also for us mentally, just how unsafe you can feel here sometimes. But I think, um, Bob, to your question, you know, we've taken some risks as an organization that were really scary for us, but really worth taking. And I, I want the girls to elaborate on this as far as the project we did at the gallery. Oh gosh. Oh my goodness. So we were approached by the gallery of Dallas, which for those of you who don't know, it's a mall here in Dallas. And they asked us if we, if we could do some sort of origami installation. And they were pretty vague. Very, very vague. <laughs> they didn't give us a whole lot of details. And so we went and we met with like the PR director and she, you know, had some ideas and she said, okay, how about we go look at the space that we want this in? And she took us to the ice skating rink. It's huge. It's about it's four stories. And she said, this is where we want your installation to go. And we'd never done anything larger than like a Christmas tree. A Christmas tree. <laughs> and this is four stories of empty space that we needed to fill. And we had absolutely no idea what the heck we were doing. I was pretty, I was pretty negative on this. I was like, this is not what we should be doing. I do not feel like this is something. I actually think I was the only person who was excited. Everybody, Isabel was the only one who was really down for it. You know, so we're sitting there in a two-hour meeting. We walk out and look at that space. We're all getting excited during the two hours. We go out and we look at the space, and it was so big and so overwhelming. I was like, oh my gosh, we just have to say no right now, not waste another minute of their time. But I saw- And she, I didn't say anything. Catherine didn't say anything. We walk away from the meeting and Isabel's like, this is gonna be the best thing we've ever done. Well, cause I could picture this like incredible installation that we could do. We just didn't know how to get there. All I thought about was tons of stressful late nights and just <laughs> mania. However, which we did, did happen. happen. But we actually, we had some help. Well, let me so, tell that story because that one's really good. So the next, the next morning I'm at my Bible study and the lecture leader, she has no idea we've been presented this opportunity. She doesn't know. There's like 700 people in the audience. But she says, if you never get out of your comfort zone, you never need God to show up. And I thought, oh, wow. Yep. And we need him to show up really big. So that day after school, we went to our local paper company, Clampett Paper, who we love. We love, love, love them. They're wonderful supporters and helpers. We just go in to just see, you know, what's possible, what kind of paper, you know, how big can we go? We walk in the owners right there and he said, Hey, what's going on? Tell them the whole story. We tell them we have no idea how to do this. We need somebody who can help us do a large scale installation who knows how to do it. And we need them to do it pro bono. <laughs> and he says, you are not going to believe it, but I'm meeting with those people tomorrow morning at eight 30. 
and I'm going to tell them all about Paper for Water and tee them up for you. So that was Thursday morning by Friday afternoon, the girls had spoken to them and they were on board and helping them and thank God because we really had no clue what we were doing. Mm -hmm. They were the ones who helped us with figuring out how we were going to hang 4,000 origami butterflies from the ceiling. And they helped us fabricate the cabling and the All structural the support. And then we had so many volunteers who Tons. helped us. Actually, this is kind of cool too. The timing was perfect yes. because it was around the end of the school year when we had a bunch of high school volunteers who were desperate for volunteer hours and they needed to come help us. So we had so many people help us with that project. It was, and it actually was probably the coolest thing we've ever done. Yeah. The end product was incredible. incredible. And Sure, sure. I believe it's in this famous book, uh, Philanthropy. Oh, no. oh, it might be. It probably is. Yes, I've actually read this book. <laughs> I reckon, oh, yes, it is. It's this um, Galleria here. Yeah, yep. that's it. It's on page four. It's right up Yeah, he found a picture. Yeah, yep. but there's oh. also pictures on our website and our Facebook. So and all right. If you want to see more about and there's that. a video of the whole they, installation. They can find out more uh, on its philanthropy. No, no, wrong, wrong website. Is paper? <laughs> that was last week. <laughs> Paperforwater.org, and you'll find out, and you'll see some more pictures, and um, um, you can find out more about this. You can find out how to volunteer. You can find out how to donate. Um, have conversations with these wonderful people. Um, this that's too much there to be coincidence. You know, as a recovering Scottish Presbyterian, there is a little bit about Calvin's predestination theology that <laughs> continues to show up over and over. So people are looking at this. You have wild, wildly successful projects, and it's it's bonded your family. And you've raised a lot of money, and they're saying, oh. Hey, we can just start something. So th there's been some times that have been pretty hard. I'm I'm guessing anybody that's successful has had a time they wanted to give up because it was just too hard. So tell us about how you got over some of those humps as you were trying to get traction with this. Who wants to go first? <laughs> we've got plenty of times we wanted to quit. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's hard when. You can't go to that birthday party or um, you can't hang out with your friends because you have an event. Um, I wanted to continue playing soccer um, when my team moved to club, but I just couldn't fit in the schedule. And I mean, there's tons of instances like that where you have to miss out on something you really want to go to. And I feel like the thing that really keeps you going is just thinking about the impact you have. And I mean, do you really want to go spend two hours doing this where it'll be super fun. But I mean, ultimately, you're not saving anybody's life. You're not impacting anyone. So I mean, it's just a lot of hard choices. I think as we've gotten older, it's actually gotten easier. I think it was really mm -hmm. rough when we were little. Yeah. But now that we're older and we have a little bit more free time, not free time, but freedom, <laughs> and we're better at managing our time, I think it's gotten a little bit easier balancing 
having friends and doing paper for water. Um, but it obviously there's still some hard times. But I think as Catherine said, it really is just about prioritizing, you know, what you really want to do. Because, you know, in the end, you're making a huge difference in someone's life with paper for water. And I think, you know, that's what keeps us going every day. I think also in the beginning, Hugh, we just, uh, you know, we didn't have any part-time help. We didn't have the hundreds of volunteers we have now. We didn't have the change maker council to help us. And um, we just have so much more support. And, you know, for me personally, that that's just part of the journey that, that this has put me on is that in the beginning, I didn't want to ask people for help. You know, you want to do things all on your own. You don't want to have to, I didn't want to ask. And once, once I had that kind of awakening that I had to ask because staying up till one, two in the morning during our crunch time, which is the last quarter of the year. And you feel every year like you've got a newborn baby in the house because you're just so exhausted. Uh, you know, once we started, once I started to realize that, I think all of us did, that we just have to ask more people. Um, we just started getting a whole lot more sleep and it was more enjoyable. And, um, you know, just kind of letting it go and knowing um, I'm not God. He's got this. I've we have so many stories where he has gone out before us and paved the way and put people and things in place before we even got there that, um, you know, just allowing others to carry this with you has really made a big difference in how, how much more rested we are and how much more enjoyable it is during those really tough times of the year, which mainly is, September, October through December, which is just completely crazy. I don't know what it'll be like with COVID. Maybe it'll be a big rest for us, but it's usually like every day there's an event or a speaking engagement or a gift fair or a fundraiser. Just mm -hmm. it's full on. But it really has been wonderful to have our change makers because they go out and they speak instead. They go out and run the fundraisers. They do so much. It's just amazing. Yeah, and as she said, it's a lot more fun now. It used to be that, you know, we had to do all of the events, and so they kind of, you know, there's a lot of monotony, but now we get to do a lot more of the fun stuff, uh, which I think has been really nice. That's a huge leadership skill, is learning how to delegate. Mm, for sure. Know, Deborah, there's a pivot from thinking we're asking for help to realizing that we're inviting others to share their passion and participate with us to create more good. So it's a, mm -hmm. it's a necessary pivot we all have to have to make. So it's really inviting people. And I bet you see a lot of joy in their lives. We've got about one minute before I need to do a sponsor moment, then I'll come back for a final thing with you. But talk about um, what's this with the uh, COVID-19 in the US and the Navajo Nation. Can you tell us briefly about that? Yeah, so the Navajo Nation right now is being hit extremely hard by the pandemic because they have an extreme lack of basic resources. Most, a third of the people on the reservation don't have running water in their homes. Many of them don't even have electricity. And there is very limited access to healthcare. And so these people are 
you know, they're being infected and then they're not having any ways to prevent the spread and also be treated. And so I think that's why it's so important for us to be working on this project with DIGB because not only are they being hit extremely hard, but I think a lot of people don't even know about it. It's not in the media a lot and it's kind of a forgotten issue. And so it's super, super important for people to learn about it and then actually do something with that information. And so we've been working on this, we've been working on the reservation for four or five years now. And it's just insane that there's this level of poverty right in our own backyard. I mean, a lot of times people think you have to fly somewhere to see a developing country, but no, you just have to drive a few hours. And it's almost as though you're in the middle of South America or in Africa. It's, it's pretty crazy. And so it's just really, really important that we remember these people, especially right now, and do our very best to help them in any way we can. Wise, wise words. Your wisdom greatly exceeds your years. Um, I want to talk about a sponsor, and then I want to come back to you and ask you, ask you what your kitty's name ask you. <laughs> Um, do you have a challenge for people to look around them and see what they can create? So let me do, let me talk about uh, another one of our sponsors is Word Sprint. Word Sprint helps us do things. Uh, we, we publish Nonprofit Performance 360 magazine. We have great stories, and I think there's one right here uh, with uh, the help of Bob Hopkins. We're, we're forecasting an issue on philanthropy. So wordsprint.com is where you go to find out the work about that Bill Gelmer and his team, they help you stay in touch with your tribe. We mail our magazine to people, people read it online. So if you tell people what you've done, your donors, you keep them abreast of what you've done, the right message to the right person in a regular rhythm, then when it comes around to donation time, of course they're gonna support you and of course they're gonna tell others. So it's using the mail, something have people having a, your story in their hand and it's something they can hang on to. Wordsprint.com is, is your source for staying in touch with your tribe and making sure your tribe is engaged, whether they're actively there or not, they're engaged with what you're doing. I'm just always amazed when I talk to anybody in this, this wonderful family. So people can look around them. What, what do you wanna challenge people with as far as they look around and have ideas? What do you want to challenge people with as we leave this wonderful interview? I mean, I feel like it's really important to, well, it's really difficult to just start anything. I mean, people see a big problem and they, they don't know where to begin. Um, but I feel like if you just start out, you start out really small. I mean, we started out as a one month project, um, but if you just start out small, but you're consistent and you keep at it. I mean, nothing happens overnight, but you can really make a huge impact if you're just consistent and show up. And I also, I think it's important to say starting a project like this is not for everyone. <laughs> and I fully recognize that, but that's why other people start projects. And so if you see, a, if you see something that you wanna help change, don't feel pressured to do it on your own. There are so many amazing organizations that are tackling almost every issue imaginable. 
And so just find one of those incredible organizations and get involved with them and use their structure and their infrastructure to make a difference in someone's life. You don't have to start your own project. Wow. Deborah, you want to add something to that? Um, I think that those are great words of wisdom. And um, I think, you know, and especially in our country, in America, people think that success in helping is, uh, you know, something huge, something big, something that requires a million dollars or national media spotlight. And, and it just doesn't. And I love this about what Bob teaches. You can do something every day to impact another person. You can just hold the door, smile at them, give when you can. Um, I think just really just paying attention and looking, you'll see plenty of ways you can help without surrendering your entire home to uh, origami. store origami and um, your entire schedule. Which if you feel called to do that, go for it. <laughs> but it is a big commitment and, it's, and it is a sacrifice and it's all worth it, completely worth it. Um, but you can help it's all worth it but you can help in uh, every day in a simple way well an hour has flown by and this has been fascinating if you're listening to this on the podcast you can see the images if you go to the nonprofitexchange.org and go to the bottom of that page you can see videos from every episode and this one you'll see some some postings on this page which are quite marvelous deborah Isabel, Catherine, Adams, and your dad, Ken, had to go back to work, which is a good thing. So thank you for sharing your magic with everybody today on the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.